Dear listeners, this particular podcast is a special podcast because it is very different. So what I've done is I've repurposed a webinar that I've had with a physician who wanted to understand more what the Canadian Physicians Pension Plan was. So he had all these questions. Myself and JP, we were trying to answer these questions, which are very good questions. Some of them are basic and some of them were sophisticated questions. But it is everything to understand the Canadian Physicians Pension Plan. So here's uh, something I must do and will do right now. This is a disclosure that I'm going to do. So I am the president of the Canadian Physicians Pension Plan, which is a pension plan by physicians for physicians. And I am the president. And you will hear that JP Laporte is the treasurer of the Canadian Physicians Pension Plan, but he is also the CEO of Integris Pension Management. And because of this, this is a podcast particularly about this particular pension plan solution. So if you are not interested in this solution, I would recommend that you stop this episode right now and uh, wait for our future episode that is not related to the Canadian Physicians Pension Plan. And that was my disclosure. If you are interested in hearing more about the Canadian Physicians Pension Plan, then this episode will be the one that you want to uh, listen to. This particular webinar was very long. It was one and a half hours long. So I broke it up into two episodes. This is episode two. financial health doc welcome to the financial literacy podcast for healthcare professionals where financial security and wealth topics are not a taboo another question i had when i went through your brochure too was was kind of music to my ears in that there's like this early retirement scenario. Um, like if I decided to trigger that and and say, okay, 65, I can't do this anymore. You know, I'm, I'm getting close to the ledge here. I need to go at 60 or, or even sooner. Wh- what is, what happens then? What, what are the steps that I have to take? And is there good advantages available? Like what is, what does that all mean? So I'll let JP talk about the legal aspect of it. And then I'm going to talk about the physician's point of view aspect to that. Okay. Okay. For the thermal funding? Yeah. Yeah. So thermal funding is a special rule that's unique to these types of pension plans. So you'll never find that in an RRSP. And what it does is that it allows your your own corporation that you control to accelerate contributions through time instead of doing it progressively year after year. If you decide to turn on the pension before the normal retirement age, you're allowed to ask the pension plan to not only pay you what you're entitled to at that age, at that early age, but to increase the amount of pension payouts by adding what are called ancillary benefits top-up extra bells and whistle benefits. So there are three of them. One is a early retirement subsidy pension. Another one is a CPP bridge pension that bridges you, that gives you money until you start turn on your CPP at uh, age 65. And the third one is full indexation of those benefits to the full cost of living. Okay. So let's say you didn't do this. Let's say you turned on your pension Uh, at age 60 instead of 65. Normally, you would suffer a reduction because that $100,000 that we've been talking about would be ground down to maybe $50,000 a year. So you have a permanent reduction in your standard of living because you decide to take the money sooner. But if we do the thermal funding, we can take your your basic 50, add maybe another $20,000 
of early retirement subsidies, add another $20,000 of CPP bridge pension and make all that index to inflation. So really you're starting at $90,000 at age 60. So you're pulling out all this extra money that the pension plan doesn't have. But to equalize the system, your medical corporation writes a check to the pension fund to give it the cash it needs to be able to be that generous. Okay. And that's why your company gets to claim a massive corporate tax deduction. So you get to benefit the money sooner and your company gets a benefit because it's writing off all those taxes. Hmm. So both are winning. That's how terminal funding works. Okay. In a nutshell. (laughs) Now, the idea of terminal funding is that if I take my retirement at age 60 and instead of 65, I have five years less to invest and compound. So the government and the law says, hold on, you you could make up that gap if you wanted to. You don't have to, but if you wanted to, you could. So it's very flexible. So you make up that gap. When you make up that gap, well, who puts in the money? Your corporation. So therefore, your corporation gets a tax right off. And it goes where? It goes to my pension plan. For me, Vuketran. Great. Okay. But what does it mean for me? What does it mean as a physician? So like you, I'm tired. I don't want to do this anymore. You know what? I found my next passion. I want to be a ballet dancer. I want to stop practicing medicine. Okay. And I'm going to turn on my pension because I know that being a ballet dancer, I'm not going to make as much money as a physician. So I'm going to, I'm going to, um, uh, I'm going to turn on the pension so that I have a stable income. Uh, And so therefore I'm going to start withdrawing money from my pension. As I start drawing money from my pension, I don't have to worry about uh, money coming in. I have money monthly coming in. And as I do that, and I'm doing my ballet, I realize, you know what? I miss medicine. I'm going to go back and do my Emerge talk uh, one shift a week. I'm not going to do what I used to do. That was crazy. I'm just going to go do one shift a week. So four shifts a month, five, six, whatever it is. Well, I'm drawing my pension and I'm still working. And as I'm working, I get OHIP money. So OHIP money comes in. I still draw my pension, but I need more money. I, 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 I want to travel to Portugal. I want to travel to Greece. I want to, I need more money. So what do I do? I take my pension, but I also now take dividends because I'm already drawing a pension. So I can't draw a salary, but I can draw a dividend because I'm a shareholder. Hmm. So now by doing this terminal funding, I get to quote unquote retire earlier still have my pension and still continue to work the way I want to work. So the way I put it is I call this the fire movement. Now you've probably heard of the fire movement, which is called financially independent, retire early. Well, my version is not that. My version is financially independent, recreational employment. So Mm -hmm. I actually practice the way I want to practice, when I want to practice, how I want to practice. And I can do that. I can do fire, my version of fire, by using the terminal funding. Now, question for JP, can a MEPP do terminal funding? Uh, It's difficult to know if they will allow those rules. I was just on the Medicus pension plan and try to look for purchasing past service. And there's a little uh, call-up bubble that says that... uh, it's coming soon, so uh, this could be added soon. Stay tuned for more information in the coming months. Right. So, so if I were, if I were to do terminal funding and I put an extra lump sum, let's call it five hundred thousand. Well, if I put that extra five hundred thousand and I wanted to do fire, but then the next day I'm dead. Well, what happens to the five hundred thousand that I just put in? Well, if if you if you if you die outside of the guarantee period. Uh, that money goes to the pool, so it goes to your fellow doctors. Where so that's a that's something I was definitely had on my list to ask about was how like again and your brochure I keep bringing it up, but it had lots of good info. Just I need just a little more meat. Uh, where where does that money go? Like what is the process? Like what path does the money follow from my pension plan? 
to say my spouse or if both of us are deceased to my kids and how is it tax deferred like how does that even work because you mentioned that too in the brochure yes um michael that is a a great question it's actually a very sophisticated question uh by the way um so let me bring back uh, a step back and talk about what happens in a regular plan like an rsp yeah because most of us are in rsp so i just want to compare and contrast why this is such a sophisticated question so in the rrsp um when I pass away, um, if I have a spouse, it rolls over to my spouse. So the money rolls over to my spouse. Okay. But if I don't have a spouse or my spouse died before me, or you know, we're taking a vacation, we're driving down to Florida, we get hit by a Mack truck, proverbial Mack truck, and we both pass away together. Um, the money that is left in the RSP is now called deemed disposed. So what does that mean? The term is called deemed disposition at death. What that means is that the money is sitting there, but there's no person to pay to. Oh, so therefore, when I'm dead, what triggers is my estate. So my estate is a different entity, a different legal and accounting entity. Before my money from my RSP can go to that different entity, because it now has changed hands because it went from Vuketran to Vuketran's estate. <laughs> oh, so okay. therefore, legally speaking, it is a transfer of money. Every time that there's a transfer of money, it triggers taxes. And so that's why it's called a deemed disposition because the government and CRA deemed that you have disposed all of your assets, even though you haven't sold it because there's a transfer of funds from one entity to another entity, from the CRA's perspective, there's a transaction. And because there's a transaction, now there's a sale, even though you didn't sell anything. So Brilliant. when you sell, so let's just say in my RSP, at time of my, um, of my death, let's just call it 2 million, argument's sake. I have 2 million sitting in my RSP, and I've now created a financial transaction, and I sold everything, two million in one day, I would trigger a lot of taxes. So what that what that is, is if you stayed in the RSP, there is a deemed disposition. And in, in that deemed disposition, there are taxes to be paid. And whatever is remaining goes to your state and your children. So that is the current state 98% of us, because 98% of us are in RSPs. So how does it work in a pension plan? The pension plan is sponsored by your corporation. The same scenario happens. Me and my wife are driving down the highway. We get hit, get hit by the proverbial Mack truck. We both pass away. There's no money to be rolled over. I can't, it doesn't roll over to my spouse. We're both dead. The money is now a pension surplus. The pension surplus goes back into my pension trust. Now, if I have set it up correctly, and again, it takes a bit of setup, you were asking, what are the legal steps? What are the papers, et cetera? So there is a legal step and setup, but I'm just gonna bypass that for now. I'm just gonna assume that your children or my children are part of the pension plan because I set it up that way. I set it up that in my corporation, my children are taking a payroll from my corporation and I've set up a pension plan inside my pension plan. So they are pensioners of my pension plan. The money, the extra money, the 200, the, the 2 million, remember the 2 million yeah. becomes a pension surplus. One, it does not follow RSP rules. It follows pension rules. So therefore, it is a pension surplus. It is not an RSP surplus. Pension surplus are not taxed. So therefore, the entire $2 million goes into the pension plan as a pension surplus. And now who belongs in that pension plan? My children. So therefore, my children gets the entire $2 million without deemed disposition. And here's the reason why. 
because the pension plan is sponsored by my MPC. It is not Vuketran. So because it is sponsored by the MPC, and because it is sponsored by my MPC, not Vuketran, the person who died is Vuketran, not the MPC. So therefore, there is no deemed disposition. You, you notice the difference? Yeah. yeah. And as long as the MPC is an ongoing concern, that's how we say it in, in legal terms, an ongoing concern, which is the MPC. As long as the MPC is an ongoing concern, there is no deemed disposition, therefore no taxes, no transfer of money, no transaction happened. And so two things need to happen. One, the MPC after my death is no longer an MPC. It's just a small business corporation. Okay. And two, the other thing that needs to happen is that my children are part of this corporation and they're and they have taken a salary. And therefore, if they've taken a salary, they're eligible to be put into my pension. And as long as they're part of my pension, the pension surplus goes into the pool, which is accessible to them. And so for that reason, that's how money is transferred from my generation to my children's generation. Now, if they do that for their children, it transfers to their children. Hmm. And if their children does the same thing, it goes on and on and on and on. And you can see that if they do that, perpetually, then the pension plan is in perpetual, indefinitely from generations to generations, which cannot happen in an RSP. When you talk about taking a salary for the kids, is that something that that you start at a certain age? And, and does it have to be every single year? Uh, does it just have to be for a few years to qualify? I wonder how that part works. Okay. So I'll answer it uh, several ways just so you get the concept. Okay. The concept is your children need to take a salary, a T4 from your corporation. Okay. To, to take a T4, they need to do some sort of task, some sort of work. And since 2017, I believe, there was a change where, you know what, before you could give dividends to your children from your corp. Now you can't do that anymore. So you have to make them do something or your corporation employs them. So as an example, um, if your corporation employs your children or my children, my corporation employs my children to do a certain task, uh, create my website, maintain my website. Uh, another child could be, though she's doing the bookkeeping for my corporation before I give the entire shoebox to my accountant. Um, my children is working on XYZ things and I give them a salary. Okay. Now, what is that salary? What amount? Obviously, it has to be CRA compliant. I have to pay my children in a way that is compliant with CRA rules, which means reasonable. Remember the reasonable test. So I need to give an amount that is reasonable for the amount of work that they do. And what is that amount? Typically for young teenagers is a, you know, a minimum wage part-time job. Yeah. As long as they do a minimum wage part-time job, which is the, 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 the rate of the market. Like if my, if my son instead of working for Cineplex Odeon or instead of working for Wonderland or instead of working for McDonald's being paid at $15 an hour, you know, 10 hours a week, while I pay them the exact same $15 per hour at eight hours a week doing X, Y, Z, as long as it's market rate and it's reasonable and it's tested and it's CRA compliant, then that's what he gets. And as long as he gets that, he gets a T4 salary. And now I do the paperwork. There's paperwork. I need to add him to my pension. Yeah. So I do the paperwork to add him to my pension. Now, my son does that for two, three years. And then he goes to university. Right. And, and now he's studying. He doesn't work for me anymore. Yeah. And, and I pass away. Well, the fact that he has worked two, three years, the fact that he's in my pension, I passed away and he no longer works for my corporation by by law he has access to my pension plan okay right now i didn't die <laughs> i'm alive <laughs> and he comes back from university and he's now an engineer okay 
And I, you know what? I want to do my terminal funding. I, I'm retiring. I don't want to use. I don't want to use my corporation as an MPC anymore. I go to CPSO. I deregister. I'm no longer an MPC. I am just a one, two, three Ontario Inc. Okay. Right. And my son says, "Listen, I want to do consulting work in engineering. Can I use your corporation as my, you know, operating corporation?" Of course, son, take it. Right. I freeze the assets. There's accounting things to do. I freeze the asset, blah, blah, blah. This portion is mine. Whatever moving forward is yours. That's what you pay the tax on. But it's your corporation now. So the corporation is an ongoing entity. So as long as he now has used that corporation to operate his business, he can continue to fund his own pension plan while at the same time, my pension still keeps on going because that corporation still exists. So I get my pension. He gets the money. Should I die? He gets the, a big chunk of money. But he uses this corporation that is no longer an MPC. It's just a 123 Ontario Inc. And he uses that to continue operating and funds his business. Hmm. When he's at the age of 60, 65, and he wants to do this for his daughter, then the same thing happens. Paperwork happens, pension and pension applications happens, and he puts his daughter into the pension plan and he dies. Well, the pension plan money, which is the money I didn't use and the money he didn't use, boom, gets into the pension surplus. And now his daughter has access to all that money that was never taxed. Hmm. That sounds... <laughs> right? Sounds... And, yeah, I, I love it. It sounds great. Yeah. So this is... The pension allows a person to pass on wealth intergenerationally while being tax sheltered. And so when does the tax happen? The tax happened when my son at age 65 decided, you know what, I'm going to trigger the pension now. So I'm going to take the 100000 per year. Well, he'll be taxed on 100000 right? So, so that's when that, the tax occurs. And so all the time as it goes... It's, it's tax shelter. And it's just compounding on itself. Compounding, like an RSP would. Okay. But the RSP ends at my death. Yeah. Because the RSP on, is on a personal level. It's not on a corporate level. So when I'm dead, I'm no longer here. I'm no longer an ongoing entity. So therefore, there's a transaction that must happen. But because the pension sits inside the corporation, I'm dead, but not my corporation. As long as my corporation is an ongoing entity, then the pension plan survives. Do I feel, I mean, I feel like I know, I know enough here in my head to say, I got to do this. Like, I got to do this pension. I got to sign up. What are, what's it like? Like, what's the process like to, you know, get in touch with CPP? And, and, you know, what's the, the support team like that comes alongside and tells me what I need to provide? And is it like a pretty intense process? Like how much work am I to expect for that on my own end? Great question. Great question. So from your own end, from my own end, from Bob's own end, from Julie's own end, as the physician or the professional, there's really not much work. Now, I'm going to say it's not as easy as walking to TD Bank or walking to RBC Bank and tell the manager, I want to open up a TFSA account or I want to open an RSP account. They sit you down, they get your SIN number, they get your driver's license, they input in the computer 10 minutes later, they print the paper, you sign on the dotted line, and all of a sudden your RSP account is created. This is not the same, but it's actually not that onerous either. So what has to happen is we get the same thing. We get your driver's license, your SIN number, your phone, your, your home address. And then what we will ask of you is your T4 salary. Because remember, this is an actuarial calculation. So we need to actually have your CRA T4 salary. Where would you get that? From your accountant. Okay. Or you would go online and look up your, your T4 salary for the last 10 years and print them out. And then what you do is you give it to Integris, so which is the pension company that, that does all the paperwork. They'll take all that and they'll give it to our, our actuary partner, which is Industrial Alliance, which is the fourth biggest 
insurance company in Canada, but they also have an actuarial arm, right? All insurance companies have that. So we take it to them and we say, here's the paperwork for VU. Here's 10 years worth of T4. Here's how old he is. Here's his driver license. Here's his SIN number. I want you to put that in that calculator of yours that you have, that big actuary calculator, and I want you to calculate all the numbers. What are you doing? Well, you're still going to work. <laughs> you're doing whatever you're doing. There's nothing there for you to do. It's, it's all on the actuary's part. So the yeah. only thing that you and I have to do is provide those papers, right? Hmm. Provide my driver's license, provide my SIN number, and provide the T4. That's really it. That's, do I, do it's I extra step. To, okay. Do I need to talk to my accountant about it? Like, do they, no. do they need any? No. Okay. No, you don't. You don't even have to ask your accountant anything. And we'll come to that in a minute about your accountant. Mm. So you give you give me all those papers. I give it to AI. Is it AI or IA? IA. <laughs> I give it to IA. And then IA comes back three weeks later and say, hey, Vu, here's your report. Okay. Um, here's what your terminal funding looks like. Oh, by the way, I love it. Oh, you mean I can retire at 50? Oh, I love that, right? Uh, mm -hmm. Here's what your past service looks like. Oh, I love that. Um, at age 65, when you trigger, here's what that would look like. Oh, great. Uh, how much do I contribute this year, next year, and the third year? Because, as we said, you can't predict 30 years in advance. So right. what they do is they try to predict every three years. Okay. So every three years, there's a reevaluation. So in the report, they'll say, in year one, you contribute X. In year two, you contribute Y. In year three, you contribute Z. Okay. And then in year four, we'll rejig re everything again. Okay. Okay. This is like a Apollo, the movie. Have you ever watched the Apollo, the movie? Yeah. Yeah. Back in. Yeah, I can yeah. remember. So what I was told is, is that they launched the they launched the rocket and now in they're in space and then you've got this lady at the at the you know at the headquarters trying to calculate how much energy to right so they knew how to get to the moon but they knew that once they're in space they had to readjust and in fact they readjusted 13 times to get to the moon wow right okay. so they had to here and there to get them on the way to land on the moon. So this is the same. We know we need to get you to this, but depending on what the market does, depending yeah. on the go sideways, upwards, etc., we'll have to go psh, 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 every three years. We'll readjust. So there's possibilities that even my contributions, like the amount I, I pay each year goes down if the market is... Oh, for sure. For sure. Okay. Okay. Yeah, for sure. But the difference is... In an RSP, the market goes down. The only thing you can do is watch it go down. Yeah, You can't do anything about it, right? And cry. If you have enough tears left. <laughs> right? But in the pension, you see it go down. You say, oh, my God, it's gone down. Well, I got money in my corp. Let me just fill that hole. Yeah. And as I fill that hole, I meet the gap. But my corporation just took the tax right off, too. Right. right? So in the pension, you can actually do something about it. In your RSP, you cannot. So what I was saying is, so every three years, you get these readjustments. Um, and as you get these readjustments, you'll know over time how you're going to get there. That's how you're going to get there. Yeah, so um, uh, and we started. essentially, the work by the physician is providing the driver's license, the SIN number, the date of birth, your address, and T4s. Okay. That's it. And, yeah. then, and then you wait. And and it's a bit of a wait, and while you're waiting, you're doing your your doctor stuff, right? Yeah. But but the the effort is really not that big. Okay. Uh, and why do you wait? You wait because we submit all these papers to CRA, actual Canada Revenue Agency, along with the Industrial Alliance report. Okay. Some girl sitting at CRA says, "Yeah, this looks good." Stamp. Once you get that stamp, once you get the letter, then you start investing. So unlike the RSP, you go into the bank, you sign on the dotted line, 10 minutes later, you can invest. In the pension plan, yeah, you have to do one more step, which is provide the T4. And then four to six months later, when you get that stamp from CRA, then you can invest. But during that four to six months, there's really nothing for you to do. You just sit and wait.
And so from an effort standpoint, people say, oh, it's so complicated. Uh, I have to do so many things. No, in fact, a lot of the time is just a waiting game because we need to get the legitimate rubber stamp by CRA. But in terms of what you, me, and Bob have to put in, not more than just getting us the T-Force. Okay. Now, I just got, that just sort of got me thinking about another question, though. Yeah. Said, then I'm ready to invest. Yeah. Which means I'm putting money in, but I, 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 I'd I like to know how is that investment done? Like the decisions around where the money gets invested and and how that how that what's the what the breakdown is in in and across all the different markets and things okay so this is a good question and it gets to be a little bit complicated now but follow the the bouncing ball a little bit okay okay so this is a pension plan based on a federation of individual pension plans Right. So you have your PPP, I have my PPP, and Bob has his PPP. So let's just start talking about the PPP itself, the one unit. Okay. So my pension plan and your pension plan, the one unit. Once it's set up, you can now invest anything you want. And you can go to any portfolio manager you want. So you can take the PPP and say, you know what? I want to use um, CIBC Wood Gundy. That's my guy. So the thirty grand that we're going to put in, plus the two hundred. Remember, <laughs> I'm yeah, going to yeah. I'm going to purchase past service. So I'm going to give CIBC Wood Gundy guy two hundred thirty thousand. Okay. And then I'm going to decide with that guy what I'm going to put it in. I want to put a little bit in Tesla. I want to put a little bit in Shopify. I want to put a chunk of it in you know uh, crypto. If you wanted to, right? Yeah. I'm not saying you should, but I'm saying you could. <laughs> so yeah. you can decide at that point when you have that unit still, uh, that little small unit, you can do that. Or you can say, I want to buy REIT. I want to buy RioCan. I want to buy the smart penguin thing, right? Um, yeah. I want to put in GICs and I want to put in bonds, right? So in that little small unit, you have full control. Now, what happens when you join the collective? Well, when you join the collective, so you put your money, your 230000 By the way, the 230000 is tracked still to your yeah. pension. It's not like you lost it. Yeah. And I'm going to put my 230000 So let's assume I'm the same as you. Okay. We're not, but I'm just going to assume just for argument's sake. I'm going to put my 230000 and Bob puts his 230000 So all of a sudden, we have 690000 so this 609,000 sits in the pool and then the the pool decides what to invest in. So the pool is made up of advisors. So some advisors I would say most advisors are physicians because like you see on the title there it's by physicians for physicians. So who are the people deciding? Physicians who sit on an advisory board along with advisor investment advisors financial planners accountants and we say here's here's how it's going to work guys we want to target eight to nine percent we want uh safety we want risk mitigation but we want some growth uh, we don't want alcohol we don't want tobacco uh, we don't want oil. We don't want gas. We don't want this. We don't want that. I want this. We want this. So we build a mandate. So we give the mandate to a portfolio manager. In this case, the Canadian Physicians Pension Plan has chosen Vector Global, which is a uh, portfolio manager uh, out of the U.S. Their base is in Miami and South America. Their total assets under management is $6 billion. Their current clients are high net worth to ultra high net worth to athletes. And athletes are considered high, ultra high net worth. So that's their current client. They also have what we call institutional clients. So they also manage money for small businesses um, that are in the 20 to 50 million type of assets. And we have engaged them to manage our pool. 
Okay. So I'm just going to give the example of us, us three, me, you, and Bob. We put in 690000 and we told them, here's our mandate, right? Target 8%, do risk management, no oil, no, no alcohol, no tobacco. We give them this and say, you know, Vector Global, build us a portfolio that meets this mandate. So they're going to go and do that. Now, me as who kept trying to say, no, 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 Vector Global, I want you to now invest in Facebook. They'll say, no, I'm taking, I'm taking orders from the group. I'm not taking orders from Vu. And I'm not taking orders from Michael. And I'm not taking orders from John. I'm taking orders from the advisory group, which is very different, right? Because remember, if you're in your initial single unit PPP, Michael decides. And Michael decides, and and they'll take orders from Michael. But when you're part of the collective, you no longer take um, you no longer take orders from Michael, but you take orders from the advisory group. Now, does Michael have a say in a certain way? Yes, because the way this is built is we're going to build different mandates. So uh, Michael is more of a conservative guy. Uh, Michael is is more GIC bonds type of person. He wants to play a little bit in real estate. So we will build a few mandates. So Michael can say, well, out of my 230,000, remember that I have, I want to put 100,000 in the bonds and, and GICs, and I want to put 130,000 in everything related to real estate. But in the thing, everything related to real estate, Michael doesn't choose what. He just choose the mandate. Okay. Vu, on the other hand, is a cowboy. Vu wants to put, you know, a hundred thousand in all equities, all in, and a hundred thousand in real estate. Again, when I put my hundred and thirty in real estate, I don't get to decide is it real can, is it Brookfield, is it this? I don't get to decide that. But I get to decide I want to play in real estate and I want to play somewhat in equities. But I don't get to choose. Is it Spotify? Is it Shopify? Is it Tesla? Is it I don't get to choose that. Uh, Vector Global chooses that. But in some way, I can sort of diversify my mandate a little bit. So in that sense, you get some flexibility, but not total control if you belong to the collective. If you stay in the unit, the PPP, then you get full control. But you but you don't get the you don't get the benefits of the collective. Yeah. That makes sense. I think I I can I have a good picture of it all uh at this point. You know, yeah. the inner oh, workings. Yeah. It, it can be like very intimidating though when right. when you're talking, I'm gonna be the employer and the employee with a pension plan and, and all this foreign language and lingo, but I feel like I got a good a good grasp now. Now you also mentioned, you know, I believe you said, well, what's the rate of return on all this? Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, if I if I had my own RSP. I can decide to put a hundred percent of my money in in uh, in um, uh, blockchain and a hundred percent of my money in crypto, and I would hit a thousand percent, right? I could if I wanted to. But what about in a pension? What's the return like, right? Yeah. And so this is the thing that we have to remember that this is a pension plan, exactly the same or better than the Ontario Teachers Pension Plan, OMER's hoop. When when these big pension plans, big institutions, they're managing thousands and thousands and thousands of people's money. Their number one, their number one goal is don't lose money. <laughs> right? Warren Buffett, rule number one, don't lose money. <laughs> rule number two, don't lose money. <laughs> Rule number three, don't lose money, right? Because remember, you're you're handling thousands and thousands of people's money. So you have to be, while you want to grow, you don't, you need to protect the downside. So most, most pensions are targeting somewhere between eight and 9%. Okay. They're not looking to hit these massive home runs. Unlike on a personal side, I can put all in, in crypto and try to hit a thousand percent. No. Not not pension plans. That's not how they function. What they want to do is they want to provide Vuketran, Michael, a safe, reliable, solid 
retirement. That is the goal. So to meet that goal, all the pensions know that they need to hit about eight to 9%. Okay. Now, this is the goal of a, of a MEPP, of a multi-employer pension plan. Your goal and my goal is more than that. Not only am I trying to hit the eight to 9%, the year that I contribute, I get a massive tax write-off. Right? Because remember, this is a private pension plan. This is not a public pension plan. So not only am I trying to target the 8 to 9%, I'm trying to get massive tax write-off. And so my taxes in Ontario for small business is 12.2%. So this year, I already got my 12.2% return. <laughs> yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, if, I'm a, if I make more than 500000 and my taxes are 266 the moment I contribute, I just made 26%. Yeah, that's true. Right? Yeah. So, yes, we are targeting the eight to nine, but the year that I put my money, my corporation just got a tax write off. I just made 26% on my 30,000 <laughs> that year alone. Yeah, I like, I like that uh, mindset. I like it. Right? So, yes. So, while we're not trying to hit home runs, we're trying to do like everybody, the, the advantage we have is that we have a 12% or 26% the year that we contributed because we get a tax write-off. They don't. Hmm. Amazing. Um, also, oh, I'm going to come back to the question of the structure. And this comes back to the MEPP. So okay. the structure is that we are a PPP and then we are federating our pension plans together. So there's flexibility in the sense that you can belong to the collective, take advantage of the economies of scale, yep. but you preserve your individuality, which yep. is important for physicians because we're all professionals. You put 10 doctors in a room, you'll get 12 opinions, right? Because we, we don't think alike. We like, we like our professionalism. We like our autonomy. That's what we value. And so... When I built this with JP, I said, JP, we need to build it like the physicians want it, which means you get the you get the benefit of the group, but you get to preserve your individuality. What that means is 30 years from now, 40 years from now, 10 years from now, a year from now, whenever you say, Vu, I want to leave this group because I'm moving to Portugal and I, I want to practice in Portugal. Fine. You're going to leave the collective. When you leave the collective, you leave the collective. You haven't left your pension plan because you leave with your PPP intact, legally speaking. And from us, from the CRA's perspective, you are a PPP. You haven't left your PPP. Okay. So you are still much, much better than an RSP. And you are significantly better than an MEPP. The only thing you left is the collective, but your pension plan remains a pension plan. So the structure we created is the most flexible in the market. You do not find this anywhere else. You come in as a pension plan, you come in into collective, take advantage of the collective, but you want to leave, you leave the advantage of the collective, but you still remain an intact pension plan and you preserve your individuality, which is not the same in an MEPP. So Medicus, you join Medicus, you join the pool. Yeah. If you leave the pool, you left the pension plan and all of a sudden you're back in RSPs. Ah, uh, okay. Yeah, that's that's a game changer for sure. Yeah. yeah, so that's the difference. And the same applies for the teacher's pension plan. The same applies to OMERS, the same applies to HOOP, the same applies to the Canadian Armed Forces Pension Plan. You join the pension plan, you leave that plan, you're no longer in a pension plan. All of a sudden, you're back to RSPs or you're back to Lira. I almost get the feeling we're we're better off this way, in, in a strange way. We have a better opportunity than all the other pensions. Does that, is that like, am I overstating that? or No, no. This is historic. Uh, this is historic because one, for the entire history of our profession as physicians, we've never had a pension plan. So now we do have one. 
But two, it's historic because there is no pension plan in a market like this right now. This is the only one where you can share in the benefits of the collective, yep. but you preserve your individuality. Yeah. Every single pension plan out there, you share in the benefits of the collective, but once you leave the plan, you no longer have a pension. So structurally speaking, legally speaking, accounting speaking, there is no such comparator in the market right now. What What do you feel like the durability of this is going forward? with the way the CRA has kind of behaved in the past, you know, the, the things they had done with our, our, our kitty dividends and, and that, is there, is there any chance they could ruin this for us? Yeah. So I'm going to answer this uh, in several ways. Okay. First, I'm going to attack the question of why did they remove the dividend for the kitties? Okay. <laughs> yeah. That particular removal of that law is actually logical. I know I'm going to get hate mails, but, <laughs> it, but it's it's actually logical. So the reason why the government allowed physicians to incorporate is to allow the physicians to take advantage of the small business accounting rules uh, and, and for physicians to operate the practice like a small business to generate active income, and hopefully with that, to employ other people so that, so that everybody benefits. That's what the, the intention of the small business was for, for physicians. Yeah. What has happened over time is that astute accountants say, hey, there's a little loophole here that we can use, right? Uh, why don't you put your kitties and give your kitties dividends? And when enough people did that, the government said, hold on, wait a minute, you're using a loophole that wasn't the intent. The intent was for physicians to use the corporation to make active income, not for you to use as a piggy bank. So they closed that loophole. And it was actually quite logical, okay? So forget the hate mails aside. So that's why they did that. Now. The next question is, what we are doing, is it a loophole? No, it's not a loophole. It's actually written in the Income Tax Act from 1917. So this Income Tax Act has existed since 1917. Believe it or not, the RSP, 1957. Okay. So, so the Income Tax Act that governs pension laws, which we belong to, not RSP laws, pension laws, is over 100 years old. And we belong and we sit in the same book as Ontario Teachers Pension Plan, OMERS, HOOP, Canadian Army, GM, Ford, you know, Netflix, whatever. All these companies who do pension play by the playbook of the Income Tax Act inside the pension section. Okay. So... If the government wanted to change that section, it would anger a lot of people. Okay. So okay. they're not going to do it lightly. Okay. And the third reason is they're most likely not going to do it. And I say most likely because never say never. You've seen that movie, right? Never say never. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So the, the reason most likely is because they want people to save. Right. The government's biggest fear is that they have to take care of you when you're old, <laughs> right? So they don't want that. They want people to save. So they want people to save in RSPs. They want people to save in TFSAs. They want people to save in pensions because they love pensions. They love the fact that there's a bunch of pensions out there, like the teachers, like Omers, like Hoop, that have these great amount of money going to contribute to the retirement of thousands and thousands and thousands of people because if those pension plans don't exist you mean you imagine how many people will be on the streets yeah. and the government have to take care of that and so right. the government definitely do not want to take care of your retirement so if if they would favor anything they would favor pensions okay 
And reason number four, which is something we haven't really thought about because you and I don't play at that level, is that government loves pension because they love to borrow money to build the bridges and the hospitals and, and whatnot. Where do they find the money? They'll find it at the banks, but they'll find it at pension funds, right? Okay. So uh, if they need money to build another hospital, they'll go to CIBC, they'll go to RBC, but I guarantee you they'll go to the teacher's pension plan and say, hey, I need a chunk of money. Mm -hmm. Here's an interest. Would you want it? The, the Ontario teacher's pension plan says, oh, of course, why not? You're the government of Canada. If I can't trust you, who am I going to trust, right? Right. So they'll lend their money and make their 8%. So government loves pensions for two reasons, because they take care of people. And two, it's a way for them to borrow money. Mm. And so the likelihood that governments will touch pensions is unlikely. Will we be in the same boat as those, you know, removal of the dividends from kiddies? No, because that was something different. That was people trying to abuse a loophole. This is not. This is actually written in the Income Tax Act. Okay. That makes me feel a little more comfortable for sure. So I, I think this is it. Do you have any more questions that I I think I yeah, I think I mean probably eventually, but uh for now I feel really comfortable uh with what we've talked about today to you know to be confident enough that it's a good decision, you know, for my corp, for my family. For my grandkids, I guess, that, you know, a pension in this specific setup, the personal pension plan, I, I really feel that's definitely got the edge over what's out there right now. Yeah. So I thank you for entertaining all these crazy questions of mine. Thanks so much. Yeah. And and Michael, they're not crazy questions. They're very good questions. They're basic questions uh, and they're legitimate questions because pensions have never existed for physicians and so just having the fact that we're having a discussion on pension is mind-boggling yeah. to me uh but two that we have been able to create a solution in the market where there's no comparator right now and so this is historic for many reasons and i thank you for your questions oh thank you Vu. and thank you for kicking this off and and pushing it so hard i think there's a lot of people that will uh, finally, hopefully, get the message over the coming months and uh, jump on board. Thank you. How is My Financial Health Doc podcast is hosted by Dr. Vukit Tran. Dr. Tran is a physician with a special interest in personal financial security and wealth education. Dr. Tran does not render or offer to render personalized investment or tax advice through this financial podcast. The information provided is for informational purposes only and does not constitute financial, tax, investment, or legal advice. Please confer with your advisor, lawyer, or accountant for specific advice. 